Welcome back to Project Outsiders. If you are returning, thank you so much for following us along on our journey to improving the foster care system and tuning in to our podcast. We really appreciate all of your support. For those who are new here, welcome to the Foster Care Experience podcast. We are a youth-led social organization that is trying to bridge the gap between youth and care with decision makers. We are all youth from care who have been pushed by our experiences to ensure that we see changes to a disconnected system. In today's conversation, we want to talk about mental health and the use of substances. For a lot of youth in care, the number one tool we would resort to as a way to cope with our situation is substances. It is not often that we have people in our lives that are able to teach us healthy coping skills. So we go with the ones that is taught to us by our peers who are also struggling. This becomes a complicated cycle to get out of once it has been habituated into your daily cycle. When mental health becomes more of an issue, the more easy it is for youth to fall deeper into an addiction. And there's a lot of stigmas that comes with having an addiction. And today we want to learn more about how to prevent and overcome. Here to tell us about her journey overcoming during a global pandemic is Kiona Semi. Kiona Semi is a first voice advocate and participates in numerous committees as a youth advisor. Some of the committees she sits on includes the Youth for Change Steering Committee with OACES, Youth Said through Holton Children's Aid, and she is an advisor for OACES on their COVID-19 mental health toolkit. She is also a peer mentor for the Futures Life Skills as in a mentorship program, and she plans to take a year off after she graduates for the purpose of self-recovery and self-growth. She wants to go to school for nursing and become a psychiatric nurse, and we will hear a little bit more down the road in regards to why that is, and I'm really excited to have you here today. Thank you for your patience. (laughs) How are you feeling? I'm feeling good, a little nervous, but I have my coffee. I'm okay. (laughs) <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I, I feel a little bit nervous every single time I do these interviews. Honestly, um, so far, I've really gotten used to this season, and I've noticed that these are just mainly chill conversations that we have, and once we kind of get into it, it really does spark a lot of inspiration, and you end up learning something in the end. So I'm happy to have you here. I'm happy to learn from you and your experience. I kind of wanted to start off about what led you to be being put into children's aid. I know we've talked about that a little bit before. If you could share more about that. I got to jog back. I think I was 15 when this, um, so I was 15 and living with my grandfather and, you know, like, I, I was doing okay. I was struggling. I had kind of made the first step months before of just kind of, you know, getting connected with the psychiatrist and kind of branching off things from there. And, you know, I was doing pretty decent. I worked. I was going to school. Like, I was, I was doing all right. I can remember it very well. It was February 2nd. I'm not going to hold back. I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk. Yeah. It was like, I think six in the morning and I just remember waking up to just like banging on the door my grandpa hadn't woke up yet so I just kind of went we were living in an apartment so I went and looked through the peephole and I saw like Halton police standing there with my mom and he's um been an alcoholic for as long as I can remember she hasn't To be quite frank, she hasn't really been, like, much of a mother figure my whole life. My grandpa has really taken care of me my whole life. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I saw them standing there, I was just like, okay, I'm not opening the door. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to hope that they're going to go away. But um, I'm knocking on the door. And about a half an hour passes, I fell asleep again, but I woke up. And this time my grandpa was up too. And he decided to open the door. The cops kind of explained that like a situation had occurred where my mom was living. She's been like kicked out. She needs a place to stay. So they brought her there. And obviously like kind of like I was 
I was woken up and I was like, what, like, what is going on right now? Like, I don't, it wasn't, I wasn't really comprehending what was happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she was pretty drunk. She came in, you know, the cops left, whatever. I just go to my room and I told my grandpa, I was like, I'm going to school. I need to talk to you when we're in the car. And I went into my room. I just kind of like hung out in there for a bit. And then I was like, all right, like I have to go to school. Like, can you please drive me? On the way to school, I told them, I was like, I can't put myself in this situation where I'm living with her again. Uh-huh. Like, she's done a lot to me. Like, I can't do this. I was like, you really need to decide, like, is she going to stay or am I going to have to go? And I kind of gave him the ultimatum. He ended up letting her stay. Finally, right then and there, like, I had to go because she's just, she's put me through a lot mentally. And mentally, I cannot be in the same space as her. Like, it just does not work out. We butt heads too much. Like, I knew mentally, I just had to do what was best for me. And... I remember staying out from school with my at the time boyfriend and he brought me home at like nine o'clock and I called my grandpa and I was like what's going on like is she gone can I come home and he was like no she's staying so I just told him like you know what I'm going up and packing my clothes like I can't I can't do this and Nobody really took me seriously at first. They thought I was just going to come back. But I was determined to get, like, do better for myself. Mm-hmm. Determined to just focus on my happiness. And I knew that not being there with her would bring me happiness. It would bring me peace at mind. Because even sleeping in the same house as her, it just it brings me anxiety like I can't sleep properly like it's just too much um so I ended up at the police station um and they ended up giving me a ride over to one of my friend's houses and from there I was kind of couch surfing for a little bit while I was getting connected with children's aid and luckily I had found a friend that I was in the teen tour band for a really long time And I reached out to one of my friends and I was like, hey, like, I know this is going to be completely random, but I was like, can I please stay at your house? And I explained everything that happened. She went and she talked to her parents and her parents, thank the Lord for them. Like, they took me in. They were wholeheartedly, like, they were, even though it was COVID, they were like, you know what? Like, this girl, this isn't fair to her. She needs a roof over her head. And they let me stay there. And I stayed there for about seven months. And over this time, I guess we'll get kind of, we'll talk about it a bit more as we go on, but I went, I definitely went through some things and yeah, (laughs) so that's kind of how I got into it. I really do respect you for like opening up and I know it's hard to do because I do find myself kind of looking back at my experience a lot when I sit down and have these conversations with people like you. And our, our situations are fairly similar. Um, I was put into care like around 14 and I've struggled with my mother, not because she has an addiction, but because she really has struggled with mental health, severe like mental health for like the majority of her life. And it was really tough because for a really long time, she would just deny it. We would never actually try and label it as such, right? We just thought it was culture. But later I found out it's just not. Um, But the chaos inside the home that I used to have with my mom, um, just we would never get along. And there would always be a confrontation, not because of like legitimate situations, but minor things that constantly got blown up out of proportion and it wasn't healthy for me. And it started to get worse. The accusations, the, you know, the conflicts that we'd have would get more just like dangerous. And eventually it's just, it blew up. Thank God it did because I needed to leave. And, um, you know, 
for her, she was planning on me exiting sooner as soon as possible. She, she just didn't want me around. And um, that still, as like a young kid who's just beginning high school, was a lot for me to think about. Like, okay, wait, um, this is not a permanent place for me. This, like, I, I need to start figuring out my living situation and stuff. It's, it's not easy. And to fall back on friends, it makes you so much more vulnerable. Um, at least like it did for me mentally. And so I, I completely understand that those are tricky waters to walk around. And that's why, you know, speaking about mental health today is really important because we see it in our families. And when it's in our families, most likely um, it's going to touch us in some kind of way, in some kind of capacity. And we then have to be responsible to learn how to deal with it. And yeah, I really want to learn how you've managed to deal with it during COVID. And it's really incredible. And it's a blessing that like your friends were able to take you in. It really truly is, especially during a pandemic and that um, you've been there. But did you feel like CES did their job during the pandemic? Because personally, I, I know that they went through a lot at the very beginning and they were very overwhelmed with the with what was happening and all the changes and obviously they weren't prepared for it but what do you think that they could have done better or what did they do right or wrong in your opinion so i went through like three four workers um just because one of my workers it was kind of a little coincidental because she was my worker from when i was young like the same caseworker, and she saw me like 10, 12 years later, and she was like, wow, like, you've changed a lot. So I turned 16 when I was in care, and when I left home, my mom took, more so kept my legal documents, so I didn't have my birth certificate, I didn't have my uh, passport, I lost all traces to my social insurance number, and obviously it's something that you should kind of always have on you, like, you should know, but I was 15 like let's be real here no 15 year old knows their social insurance number off by heart or anything like that the only things that I got were my debit card and my health card and that was thanks to my grandpa because he kind of took it from her and she was he was like no like these are things that she needs kind of person my mom is like she won't take no for an answer so that was really the best he could do And for a while, like I had mentioned, like, you know, obviously it's something that's kind of really important is your legal documents. And I'd like mentioned this to the workers and things just, I don't know if it's maybe because things were just like, so many things were happening at once. And they they were like, okay, this is kind of a big case. Like, I just, not until I got my most recent worker was I able to reapply for my birth certificate, Uh. my parents' number. Um, you know, at that time, like, they didn't try to kind of bring me in towards of, you need to get your driver's license if you do one, like, what are you doing kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Honestly, like, um, it's not necessarily because of the pandemic. I will give them a break and be like, yes. Uh, the pandemic has put a lot more stress on them, especially when it first hit in March. But the thing with the IDs is has been an issue since I was like 15. You know, it took me a long time for even to get my workers to apply for it. And um, it was an issue because I was in need of them, right? I had, you know... I was dealing with my own anemia and certain like issues with like my health and I was it became difficult because I didn't have my documentation so the right ones and so it limits you you don't realize how much it limits you until you don't have any of them and you need them you have to wait on them and so quite frankly I've learned that the procedures to get your identification doesn't take very long and um, it, as long as you just apply for them, and uh, there has been some kids, this has been like an issue that's been talked about way back when in March. Um, there has been kids who've aged out without their identification, and if they're immigrants, um, or yeah, if they were immigrants, 
that would just cause a huge ton of more problems for them to get jobs, to buy banks, to get apartments. And that's why like people were really trying to vouch to get social workers expediting processes for their youth for identification purposes. But trust me, it's not you. It's not the pandemic. This has been an ongoing issue for way before the pandemic. So I wanted to work for the longest time. I was like, it, it's kind of like a little bug. Like he's like, it's on my shoulder. It's like, you need to work. Like, yeah, I'm the kind of person I am so independent. And it's just because I basically, in a sense, raised myself. Yeah. I'm, I've been so used to working for my money, working for my things. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yes, I'm getting my visa because I am a visa youth. Um, so I'm getting my sum of money per month. But it just didn't feel right because it was like, I want to be working for my money. Yeah. And as much as it did help me, like it does help me. Now that I do have a job, it feels super good because it's like, I'm making this. This is my paycheck. Like I worked for this. Yeah. And it makes you productive. It gives you like something to do in the day. And I've definitely heard that that was like a really big issue during the pandemic is that people just got bored. Like they had no routine and it kind of started and that affects your mental health as well. That really does. If you don't have any kind of purpose in the day. So how did everything kind of pan out for you during the pandemic? Like, like how did you deal with this massive transition into care and at the same time experiencing like a global lockdown like how did that affect your mental health and what did it look like for you oh okay I'm gonna be 110 percent honest so when we went into the pandemic I lost all contact with my psychiatrist because they cut they stopped doing the hospital appointments they hadn't figured out phone appointments Mm, my god I was off my meds for such a long time like I'm not saying meds fix everything but meds definitely regulate me when I'm on definitely regulates me lord have mercy it was terrible it was absolutely terrible mentally I was so low I was depressed I was at the part where I I over like two years clean of self-harm but I got to the point where I was really close to it because I just I didn't know what to do I wouldn't leave my bed for days mm-hmm. I, the only thing I'd leave for is like food water use the bathroom that's it but mentally I was doing terrible yeah and it's it's definitely not easy when you struggle from BPD like bipolar disorder it's just definitely not easy and I've learned that sadly the hard way. I used to during this time I had a lot of PTSD episodes yeah where I just I wasn't me. I wouldn't talk. I just kind of zone out and the only thing I knew to do was just go for a walk. Just walk until you come back in a sense. Oh yeah. Ooh, that's powerful. Uh, <laughs> It's almost like dissociating. You're just not present in the world. You don't feel like a human. You just feel like you're existing. It's, I remember that feeling. It was like some of the hardest times in my life. And even before, a little bit before the pandemic, I was in that place. And um, yeah, that is just... I don't think there's a whole lot of people who would fully understand that state, but I do. It's almost like you're dreaming and you're always tired, always sleeping in your sleep cycle is just completely messed up. And I would sometimes in my darkest moments while in care, I would wake up with like panic attacks and anxiety and, and it was awful. Like my entire body would shake because like I was just not present. I was living in the past and that was like my PTSD being active, right? That's mental health. And I want to hear what you really would have needed during that time. Honestly, what I really needed at that time, like I just needed someone to in a sense care for me. Like, yes, my friend and her parents, like they cared about me a lot, but even my friend had her own mental health problems. Um, so they were like, they were very known on like kind of what was going on. Mm-hmm. But 
it was like I needed a sense of security. I needed to find ground so I could stop going all over the place so I could just land and calm down. Yeah. Because I wouldn't sleep some nights and some some days I would sleep all day. I ended up like turning into drinking for a little bit to just kind of, in a sense, feel, but not feel at the same time. I didn't want to feel the pain anymore. Yeah. I was so genuinely depressed where I really felt like I was like, I don't really care what happens to me at this point. Like, whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to make the pain go away. I don't want to feel it. I went down the slippery slope. Honestly, I just wish, like, I never told any of my workers what was going on with me because I'd just act like I was okay. Because I didn't feel the sense of security with them. I didn't feel like they were going to stay yeah, like, I am I just felt like, you know, I'm just one of their cases that they have to get done and over with. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, the way I'm feeling won't matter. What I'm doing won't matter because at the end of the day, I'm just a case. I'm not another kid. I'm not someone who is important to them. Like, I could definitely see how, like, COVID would amplify those feelings that, quite frankly, a lot of youth in care already had. Right, not only just with their workers, but like you're painting a really good image of just like how powerless youth in care typically feel and how that really tends to affect our mental health. It's just we're constantly feeling worthless and isolated with our workers. They're too busy, right? It's sometimes they hardly contact us, and the only time they do reach out to us is when we're in a crisis. The only time they give us attention is if we're in desperate need of it. And that's not good enough, right? We need structure. We need to know that we are safe where we are. And same thing goes with the families and the caregivers that a lot of the youth are staying with, right? It feels like we are a burden in their house. They don't really care for us they only view us as a paycheck as a way to get income or money and some youth feel separated from the family especially if they have biological kids it's constant feelings of isolation that would that's kind of like what drives us feeling exhausted all the time because it's like what's the point right you know brings us that's why like our flashbacks are so frequent and like relevant um even like, yeah, forget irrelevant. Relevant is important because how we were treated back then, feeling like we're worthless, feeling like we had no purpose and from like our old family and reliving a lot of those scenarios or even like, you know, us receiving that passively from the caregivers and superiors in our life really just kind of like shapes our vision. And it's hard to get out of that if we don't have people in our life who is actively trying to prove us wrong. Yeah, 110%. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's what like drove me crazy is that why is not anybody putting in the effort to prove me wrong? They're just validating these experiences and these feelings in me. And it's, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to sit there and I was like, you know, why doesn't anybody make me want to feel like I matter, like I belong here? And as much as I like, before I got my most recent work, and Lord, thank the Lord for her. Like, she is a sweetie. She is amazing. I absolutely love her. She is so supportive. I've never been able to just call my worker and be like, hey, what's up? Hey. And having her like, just like one call away, like if I ever need her or if I, like she's there for me like when I got a job she was one of the first people I told because the connection with her and it's the sense of security like she's let me know that I matter my feelings matter like I the way I'm feeling there it's all valid like I'm allowed to feel this way but she has done what she can and she will always do she loves to bend over backwards to try to help me out and I appreciate it so much yeah yeah And um, like, that's the beautiful thing that I want to really mention is that sometimes when it comes to people who legitimately make a massive impact in our life, it wasn't really that complicated or hard to do because what we're really looking for 
is consistency, right? Like somebody who is consistently supportive and um, caring and actually like wants, not just like wants to see good for us, but knows that we have the capability of it. Mm-hmm. And they see the stigma of like youth and care. They see the stigma of people with mental illnesses and they see you and that those two things are separate, right? You are your own person and you have your own goals and your own dreams. And that's what really matters. Your mental health and your life, that's, that's not you. That's not your identity. That's just your situation. And those people who are in our lives that makes that difference are the ones that sees that in us, that removes the stigma and just like looks at you as a person, as a human. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so like, that's what actually starts helping us build our community of like, like our safety net, like our, our network, our community of people who are there for us. Like, what do you feel like will really set not only your workers, but some really important people in your life that walked in maybe once had a conversation with you or like, um, or who are still currently in your life? What set them apart from everyone else? So I have three good examples here and they're all completely different. So there's one time before everything happened that kind of brought me into care. I was in CAPIS. Um, I was under observation. If anyone doesn't know what CAPIS is, I was, in, I was like in the ward. Um, and there's the psychiatric nurse and her name was Bonnie. And the only, the first thing that kind of stuck out to me was her name was Bonnie because I could think of Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> I always think that too. She was super sweet. You know, she kind of looked like a little hippie. And I was like, oh, I like that for you. Like, it's, it's, it's a good vibe for you. I like that. I just remember I was there from like two in the morning until like, I can't remember when, but she sat there for at least three hours just talking to me and just talking through my feelings and my emotions and helping me kind of helped explain a lot of things to me that gave me a better understanding of my mental health and why things may appear the way that they appear or why things happen the way that they happen, especially with my mental health, my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. and the thing that really stuck out to me was a that she took the time to sit down with me when the rest of the ward was full but it was like time didn't matter to her she didn't care what mattered was my understanding and as long as I knew that this doesn't define me like she kind of broke down the stigma that really stuck out to me and you know she ended up calling in my grandfather And she sat him down for a good hour and a half and explained my diagnosis to him and explained ways to help me, you know, things to do for me when I'm feeling a certain way or when I'm, because he's very old fashioned. He thinks very old school. And after her sitting him down and giving him this talk, it was like he was a new man. Like he understood. That made such a big impact. It's the reason why I want to be a psychiatric nurse because I want to do that for other kids. I want to break the stigma. I want families to be more understanding. I want people who suffer from mental health disorders to know, like, it is okay. It is not your fault. Like, it's completely genetic. It's a thing. But, like, I just want to be there to be like, you are okay. Like, I know it may, you may, like, it may not seem like it's okay right now, but you will be okay. Like, you will, I want people, I want to be there to help give people the strength that they need. I want to be there to lift people up. So that's definitely the first one. My second one would be an EA from my school named Chris. Because of my mental health, I got transferred to an alternative school because simply, like, my school then just didn't want to deal with it. They, they're like, okay, you're not doing too well. Alternative school, bye. Yeah. You know what? That was kind of the best thing that could ever happen to me, to be completely honest, because it's not even just my teacher, well, my EA, Chris. It was all the teachers there just so supportive um but he stuck out to me because when I first went I was in my shell I didn't want to talk to anybody and he's a big shoe guy (laughs) true we're in a a pair of Jordan ones okay he says you like ones and I was like I like ones 
this day he so happened to be wearing ones and I was like oh you like ones and this is how we kind of bonded and he just took time out of his day to come check up on me make sure I was doing okay he left at the beginning of my grade 12 years so I like I swear I miss him so much Mm -hmm. I ask every day to my teachers he took the time he always took the time to just listen to me with my anything I really had any problems with you know he always took the time to tell me I was short because he's like six foot something and you know what that's okay I'm short he'd always just be there for me and I know that may seem like such a simple thing it was just like I've never had an EA do that for me I've never had an EA follow me outside because they noticed something was a little bit off with me like they never watched me they never understood and like learned my emotions learned how I was to the yeah. point where I could tell if something was off oh yeah see I hear that I hear you and what I also hear is like almost you saying like not only was like he just like a cool guy but he was just present he was there and he interacted you outside of what's you know what typical interactions were supposed to be like you know, it didn't always have to be teacher or like a um, mental health professional or whomever. It doesn't always have to be a professional um, relationship. It could just be casual. And when you start to have that kind of casual relationship with that person, like you get to actually view that person as them. And then you recognize when something is legitimately off because you know how they typically are at a calm state. So yeah, 100%. Like, you know, at the beginning of this year, before Chris left, like, he told me, he was like, he's like, you are going to graduate. I believe in you. And that stuck with me for a while because it was like, you know what? Like, he's been here since I was in grade 10. He knows my learning style. He's like, he's like, you have it in you. I believe in you. Like, you got this. Mm-hmm. He told me, like, you know, don't give up after I leave. He's like, I, he's like, you're strong. And he's like, you know what? Like, as long as you keep doing what you're doing, like, you will do good. And it just, like, it felt really good to know, like, you know, he believed in me. And, like, especially, again, like, as an E, like, I've never had another EA tell me that. And I've never had an EA that was very supportive. Instead of an EA to me, Chris was, like, like a friend. He was, like, a friend. Mm-hmm. Like, that was that. And honestly, I'm probably going to somehow manage to contact him. Like, you need to listen to this podcast. <laughs> How much of an impact he's made. Because when I was finishing up my compulsories, like I did one Google meet with him. And I was like midway done my last compulsory. And that just like him telling me, like, I've read your stuff. You're doing great. Gave me the extra push to just finish it. Get a good grade. And kind of secure my graduation Mm. and it just feels really good and I I honestly have to say like if he wasn't there I probably would be like "Mm, whatever I can push it off push it off push it off he is the kind of guy where he he saw me slacking he'd be like listen like you need to do this you got the brains for it you you can do it and yeah that just helped me a lot yeah and my third example would be my lovely, lovely boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Who I found at a really rough time in my life when I was struggling with addiction. Mm-hmm. And I felt, you know what, I, had, I felt like I had no purpose. And I've, you know, a year, a year in April, over this course of 11 months, like he's shown me like, love doesn't have to hurt love Ooh. like he's shown me like you are like he's shown me really what true love is yeah and he's shown me acceptance that I've never felt before he's somebody that I can always be myself around um he's someone that lifts me up on my bad days he's you know he's literally him and I I'm a little mini him like <laughs> I love doing everything with him. I love him so much because he's truly helped me so much. And I can never tell him that enough. Like, he's just, he gave me purpose when I was in that dark place. Mm -hmm. 
a reason to try to turn my shit around and try to, you know, clean my act up because I knew if I didn't, like, if it wasn't for him, honestly, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. I love that. Like, that reminds me of, like, and I'm going to go back to, like, addiction a little bit. There's this one story that was told to me, like, a while ago, just around, like, it was an example of, like, sometimes how addictions work. Not all the time, um, but it was an example given to me for a reason. I'm going to explain to you after I tell you a little story. So, I think I might have actually been in university. It was, like, in one of my psychology classes first year. They were telling me the telling the story of, like, war veterans in Vietnam coming back from the Cold War. A lot of them, and here's the thing. Oh, this is so, this is a little bit of psychology for you guys. So basically what the story was is like fighting in the Cold War. A lot of Vietnam or Vietnam soldiers relied on heavy substances like coke, meth, heroin, all of that to be able to do the gruesome job that they were doing right so their addiction was severe and the thing about addiction is is that it's one part and this is just like from research it's one part you know the substance the addictive properties of a substance and it's another another part and a really big part is the environment so they were constantly in an environment where other people were doing drugs where it was it was familiar so much to where your tolerance, you start to get habituated into these, that lifestyle, right? Not just the drug, but you're addicted to that lifestyle. And so that's how some tolerance levels goes up dramatically. And, uh, and according to some research, when people are removed from that environment, even after they take, if they take the same dose, that they might have taken for like, let's say three months and they've been okay. Sometimes they don't even feel like the effects of it. If they take that dose in let's say a hospital setting or a completely different atmosphere, your likelihood, a lot of them ends up overdosing and the likelihood of you overdosing goes up dramatically, right? And so when these soldiers actually went back home, for a lot of them, their addiction had decreased significantly as soon as they were put into such a powerful loving environment uh, uh, almost like like a lot of them and this is just allegedly i'm not entirely sure how accurate this like research is not a lot of them had fully recovered from their addiction and this kind of gets me thinking back in like my group home i have had honestly i've experienced a lot of people just fall into heavy addictions people who at the beginning of when i had arrived were just like quirky little eccentric you know type of people and they never even smoked a cigarette and then when certain people start coming into that environment and just shifting it into a more kind of heavy substance use toxic place um, a lot of that people who already has a lot of mental health issues and instability fall into those dark holes that they're kind of like the new people are starting to dig yeah and so that started to become their new environment that they got used to. And after they had been kicked out of that group home or they had to leave for whatever reason, they are now, they're not leaving with anything positive or new. They're leaving with a new environment instilled into them, not just like surrounding them, but it's instilled inside of them. And so typically when, you know, you have a new way of viewing the world that just starts to become your reality. And so more addiction, more toxicity follows you afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so I myself, and I wanted to ask you this, I myself had tried to step in and like support and love some of these people who are suffering from addictions. I've been in relationships with people who've had heavy used addiction used to like cocaine and meth and so on and I would just be there I would try to be understanding I would try to be supportive I would try and also be like give them some tough love and um it didn't always work for me right because like 
sometimes the addiction is like a lot stronger because they are more comfortable with that environment. And sometimes it becomes too uncomfortable to leave it. What about your boyfriend really made such a difference? So when I was struggling with my addiction, I was struggling with pills and was he made me feel like I mattered. He made me feel, he kind of was the light at the end of the tunnel because I just felt like, you know, I'm here now, like I'm not gonna, I wasn't really believing like I was gonna make it through really just like a couple years, if anything. It was also the sense of security because it was like, he was somebody that was there. And he promised, he always promised me, he's like, you know what, like, I'm going to help you. I'm not going to leave. It's not like my addiction was terrible. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was super, super hard to come out of. Mm. Because I can definitely say for somebody that has an addiction, like, I even tried giving my own mom the tough love. I tried everything and nothing would change. So I definitely understand, like, when it's like a really, really serious addiction, like, it's weird to even try to come out of it like I understand there's not much you can do at that point in a sense but my boyfriend just he made me feel loved and he showed me true love and it was a different kind of love than what I had ever received in a sense he understood what was going on with me he understood my thoughts even though sometimes I just speak and speak and speak and speak Like, he wouldn't get sick and tired of it. He wouldn't... He'd sit there and listen to me. And it was just the fact of he took time with me. He, like, didn't, you know, rush me to be like, okay, like, go cold turkey. Yeah. You have to do this. Like, he... Yeah. He was very patient with me. Those are definitely, like, that definitely, like, really helped. Because obviously where I am now... I'm definitely doing like a thousand times better than I was when we first met. Honestly, like my main focus was like, I knew that if I had continued, like with the pills and everything, I knew I'd lose him. And I didn't want to lose him. Feel the love through the computer. (laughs) I'm really happy to hear that. He was really able to make an impact on you and just for the better. Yeah. That person. I'm over the moon about that, truly. He would be, like, in your circle right now, but do you think that you have or you're starting to build a strong circle around you of just support, supportive love, and people you could rely on? And- I definitely think I am, because I'd say about almost eight months ago, I moved in with him and his family, and ever since then, we've just grown together They've taken me in as part of their family. They treat me like nothing else. Like, I'm, like, another to his mom. I'm another one of her daughters. Like, to his sister. I'm her younger sister. It's just things like that. And I've kind of truly learned who my good friends were and who kind of the bad apples were as I grew and as I moved past all these things. And as I went higher up, I was able to see that, you know, being friends with so-and-so brought me this and being friends with so-and-so brought me that and like to be quite frank I'm I don't have many friends but the friends that I do have they're there for me like it is very strong and I couldn't be happier with that I would rather have a very small friend group you know have ones that I know care about me and who will be there if I need to call them at 3 a.m or like and ones that I'll be there for yeah and honestly that is all that matters like the number of friends that you have it doesn't mean a thing if all of them just are not there for the right reasons if that if they're not really there for you as a person and they don't care and love you if you have one or two people in your life like that that you know that you could fall back on and rely on and you could call when you're in a crisis and they would listen to you. That's all that matters, truly. And it took me, you know, some time to learn that. But once I started to cut off like the bad weeds, new 
I started to be introduced to new healthy people in my life and they started to come up a lot more frequently and it was worth it it was worth the wait it was worth being patient and it was worth being aware and letting go change is uncomfortable it is it definitely is Um, yeah but it's necessary what's next for you like what do you hope that your life looks like I definitely noticed a lot of growth and change over this past year and so like my peers around me like I um, I'm up for valedictorian for my class like I'm I have really good grades and my teachers have stopped me in the halls and they've been like listen like you have changed so much since last year you've mm-hmm. gotten so much more mature you have your head on top of your shoulders you're getting shit done mm-hmm. honestly like after I graduate I'm just gonna keep doing me because that's what I've been doing I've been focusing on growing and just bettering myself I'm definitely with the validation of like from coming from my teachers coming from my boyfriend's family it means a lot because I know that I'm doing something right I've kind of like made obviously some big decisions of I'm not gonna go to school next year and I chose that because I was so 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 stressed out when it came time to even applying I was just like you know what like I no 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 I need a year to just focus on myself, make some money, and just kind of grow as a person. And I, I obviously think now, like, you know, it went from me and my boyfriend literally not working at all, both of us just being with each other 24-7. And now we've kind of moved into the stage of we're both working. So when we see each other, it's utter quality time together. Good. And when I go to school, like, I'm getting done what I need to get done. I'm just finishing it. My work life is so healthy now. So I just think things are honestly just going to grow and kind of bloom from here. Good. Honestly, you made the good choice, like, uh, the right choice here. When you made the decision to take a break, you've become or you've aged out or whatever happens once you turn 18 and you want to get a little bit more independence throwing yourself into university and taking on all of that is a whole different atmosphere let me tell you for a lot of us and for a lot of the youth who've tried to do it that way they have failed because they think that there's a time limit there's there's no time limit here and you're not going to succeed the way that you want to if you're constantly putting yourself under so much pressure and not actually dealing with the core of yourself the core of your being that right now most likely is a little bit broken, right? From all the trauma, from everything that you've experienced in your life. Like you need to prioritize that before you start figuring out what your dreams and what your aspirations are. You need to find yourself and your identity and start reconstructing reconstructing your cup before you start filling it up or else it's going to leak and eventually it'll get too full where it's going to break and fall apart. And that's just not the way to go about it. Focus on you. Focus on your mental health and your recovery. And I think by you doing that, you'll be a lot better off. Nice move. I like that. But I do have a couple more questions for you before I let you go. One is, what do you think were some of like the major gaps within your experience in the system? Like, what do you think that the workers should have been more prepared or trained on or caregivers or mental health service providers and so on? This is a good one. Let's see. Yes, yeah, good. I honestly think that something workers should be a little more trained on. You know, some of them got it bang right on, right on the dot, but I think some workers need a bit of a better training when it comes to mental health, but not from their generation, but with our generation, because in a sense, things are different. Mm-hmm. You know, the problems may not be the same ones that they had. You know, some workers might completely understand. They might be like, hey, listen, like, I get it. But some might have trouble understanding or they might not really validate your feelings for what they actually are I think probably some more training on connecting like if there are some for say I was a worker and I had a youth and I knew there were mental health issues 
connecting them if they want, like obviously talk to them first, but connecting them to therapy. I have a mental health nurse at school and she connected me with some therapy and she connected with my worker, you know, things like I'm obviously on a wait list now, but I feel like this is a thing that could have been done a year ago, right from the jump of when things started. So just things like that, like connecting their youth with some resources that they actually need. Because I've been connected with a bunch, but it's like Coast, Kids Help Phone. Yeah. Like, it's things like that. And it's it's like, really, like, no, I need therapy. I need, you know, to be connected with a psychiatrist. I need this. I need that. You need permanency in your yeah. mental health. And I kind of just like thought of something there. That, that should be what the whole mental health care system, whatever its motto is, like, we're striving for permanency in your mental health, permanent mental well-being instead of just temporary crisis, emergency support, whatever. And that requires more permanent, or not permanent, more consistency. That's what's needed. But yeah. And I wanted to ask you, and these are typically two questions that by now a lot of people on the podcast who has listened to the entire season knows I always ask this to my guests at the very end. The first one is what is one thing that you know now that you wish that you knew? Well technically you're still in care, you know, or yeah, still being provided care. But what is one thing that you wish you knew earlier in life that you know now? This is gonna sound so basic, but my rights. <laughs> I wish I knew my rights. I wish I knew what I was legally obligated to. Yeah. I wish I knew, you know, I can move out at the age of 16 and, you know, nobody has a say over me and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I knew that I could get emancipated because, Lord behold, I would have gotten emancipated when I was 15. But, you know, it's not a big issue to me anymore because I'm 18 in a couple months. So I'm like, whatever. Like, <laughs> You know, I don't have to have a legal guardian anymore. Mm-hmm. Somebody that doesn't even want to talk to me, who doesn't care for me, somebody who wanted to see me struggle. I also just wish I knew my rights of like, like being able to hold my own legal documents, mm-hmm. everything yeah. like that. I also just wish I knew like, it's not something I wish I knew. It's something that I wish could more so change is like some restrictions on getting like you know no contact orders because if it was a little bit easier to get one like especially for children in care you know I just want a no contact order with my mom Mm. I wish that I could get one but you know it's not like she's harassing me but it's like I want like an on paper no contact to where you know, for say, because I work in the area where she lives. Mm. And my fear, every shift that I go on is what if she walks in right now? Because I work, I work at a restaurant. My thing is, if this woman, if this woman walks in right now, like, she could start a scene, I could lose my job. I wholeheartedly wish, you know, I could have a no contact order to in the sense of, you know, if I'm working, and she comes in, there's like a barrier, legally, something that there's on paper like she cannot my way of saying it is like hurt me because any time she's ever even once I moved out the only time she's ever talked to me was to hurt me yeah and I just wish it would honestly make me feel safer I don't live too far from genuinely from where she lives yeah and like yeah I may live like right next to a police station but it would make me feel safer about going about in the city it makes me feel a lot safer knowing if she violates this, justice can be served. You know, I'm, it's, it's kind of like a protection in a sense. Like, and I feel like I have none of that. Mm. Uh, you know, it's gotten to the point before where she was making like social media accounts to try to like watch me and things like that. And she used to try to like, oh, well, I've seen you, you know, smoking weeds. So I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to put your, you on the wrist or I've seen, like, things like that. And it's like, at the end of the day, another thing I knew, I wish I knew. Um, is 
for a while, like for years, I've smoked. It's just it's a thing. I wish that I knew that, you know, I could obtain my medical marijuana card. Like I could get a prescription because like, yes, I have one now, but that is because of cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome. And it's now I'm prescribed CBD. And I just wish there could have been something like that. Like, obviously, yes, I was smoking, but it would have definitely made me feel a lot better about it. Mm -hmm. It is okay. And although a lot of people see it as, oh, if you smoke, you're going to go nowhere in life. It's not how it is. Because, you know, I'm still a straight-A student, and I smoke. Like, it's like, yeah, like, it just helps me calm down. It helps me... You know, like I have knee and shoulder pain and back pain to go away. It's things like that. Yeah. This is the way that I also see it when people want to complain about other people smoking or other people's mental health and not getting help. I now walk in the world as kind of like figuring out how people fit in my life, right? Mm -hmm. And so typically, I'm very aware and cautious when people use certain languages around me. And so when they say things like that, right, very naive things, it's a way for me to kind of understand what their mentality is like. You know, it helps you kind of be cautious. You know what, maybe this is a person who, you know, typically I don't really see spending more than like five minutes with in my life because they don't fully get it. They only have one perception or one story of of how they perceive the world. Mental health, it's a story that's painted on social media, painted in the newspapers, and that's how they choose to perceive other people. It's not productive. Same yeah. thing with addiction, right? You want to keep people like that at a distance if you want to grow into who you want to become, right? Yeah. You need to have people in your circle that allows you to expand. And judgment usually keeps you encapsulated. And so you really couldn't have said it any better. Like, I've kind of been learning that, you know, as time has passed. I especially started learning that after I hit my rock bottom. I, I don't want to take too long, but... No, keep going. Yo, go. My rock bottom. I remember I was friends with these guys. And, you know, they were known to, to drive, you know, the shebang. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, like, I have always like even when I you know I know someone else smokes like I have no problem with it because I'm like you know it's not gonna kill you fine but I hit my rock bottom when I kind of remember it was like one day I was with you know this group of friends and there were so many there's there's a lot of pills in my system Mm mm-hmm oh oh yeah my worst mistake was I got into a car with one of the guys mm-hmm. car crash and I haven't told many people this because I've always just been kind of like you know if my workers find out will I get in shit like I've honestly taken from it and I've learned from it you know like I don't even remember getting into the car crash yeah I was so like I I was so out of it and then you know 16 hours later I was still in shock and I ended up in the hospital yeah that was my rock bottom when I was in the ambulance and I was like, what is right now? Like, this really cannot be real life. Like, I couldn't move a, I couldn't move a muscle in my body without getting, like, sharp pain. Like, I had a bad concussion. I had, like, cuts from glass on me. And I was like, this, I was like, I genuinely was like, this isn't real life. Like, this can't be happening right now. But it, it was. And it was my rock bottom. And this is also before I met my boyfriend and I ended up meeting my boyfriend not too, too long after this. And that's kind of where I started making decisions. I was like, you know what? I need to stop. This gone, that gone, this gone, that gone. Like I was like, I was like, it needs to go because it's not creating who I want to be. Mm-hmm. I knew like deep down inside, I'm like, I am more than this. Like I have more in me. I was like, I've, fought for so long I was like I can fight some more yeah yeah and uh see that's the thing and you you nailed it 
Some people needs to hit rock bottom. Some people needs to hit even below rock bottom, far below rock bottom to yeah. near death for them to start making right choices, the right choices and cutting off these people who are influencing you to make the wrong decisions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that accident was tragic, but now you are a different person because of it. Yeah. That in itself is beautiful, so. Like, I remember for a long while after, like, I wouldn't get into a car because I was just afraid. Yeah. Up until not too long ago, like, I hadn't gone on a highway because it happened on a highway, and I was just, a lot of anxiety, but it's, like, I've come past it. Like, I've learned to trust, you know, like, my boyfriend's mom is driving me somewhere. Like, I know she's not going to get into a car crash. I know she's not under the influence I know when I'm on a bus, like, I'll be fine. And I know for a fact, like, I know, you know, smoking is the only thing I will do. Mm -hmm. Because I look back at that and I'm like, I never want to be that again. It's like a blessing in disguise of my mom being an alcoholic because I can sit back and genuinely think, like, you know what? I want to be nothing like her. In fact, I want to be the complete opposite. I want to help people. I want to strive I want to do better I want to reach all my goals mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and having this mentality and just thinking this has in a sense brought me as far as I've come agreed and that is the same with me in regards to watching my mom just struggling with mental health and never admitting it I want to be absolutely nothing like that if I felt something off with me or if I ever do I want to make sure I address it and I get the help I need for it because that is the way that I will overcome and be stronger. And so, yeah, that's the thing about us kids and care. Like we're resilient. We learn from everybody else's mistakes. And yeah. sometimes we have to learn from our own um, and recognize that while we're just repeating the toxic, the toxicity that we've just seen so much in our life. And some people just, yeah, people like you, people like me, people, a lot of other advocates see that, the possibilities of a different life is just so, it's just like, it's right next to us. It's so close to us. We just yeah. need to accept it in. A hundred percent. Yeah. So my last question to you, Kiona, is what is one thing right now in your life that you feel like you could use to help you alleviate the effects of the foster care system? What's one thing that you feel like could really help change you or your situation so when it comes to kind of with the effects of the system definitely what i'm doing right now advocacy work it is something that it's it's like i'm at peace of mind when i'm advocating because i'm like i know that these opinions matter and things will be changed it may not happen right away but it's one step closer so when it comes to the system definitely advocating i swear to advocate the day I cannot anymore because it genuinely it's helped shape me as a person I feel you know a hundred times better after advocating a hundred times better after every meeting frustrating sometimes but you know what at least the point has gotten across in this podcast like we're kind of bringing in light on substance abuse and mental health and this is something that I feel so strongly about because you know of all the stigmas and it's like these stigmas need to be broken and it's ridiculous at this point because there's so many stigmas regarding mental health substance abuse hell even being a teenager all of these stigmas that have been created from generations before us should not apply to us because we are not the same we are a different generation and we have bigger and better things coming that's just how it is per generation like yes you know not all of us may have bigger and better things coming but for the ones that do we really do, and we are determined. And something oh. for you, something for you that would change your life. How do you think? I honestly think, like I know I'm already doing it, but I think this next year off to focus on myself and my growth is definitely going to make a big change in who I am as a person. While continuing to be an advocate and while continuing to work. I just think it's going to help me grow as a person. You know, I'm going to get time to 
let my brain take a rest mm-hmm. and I won't have many things to worry on. Instead, I can focus on myself and trying to better myself in any which way that I find that I might need to. Nice. And I agree. I think that it was a really good decision on your half. And honestly, I hope while you're recovering that like you really kind of do some like soul searching as well. And sometimes it takes like us working with somebody in the field that just gets it, gets us. It could be a counselor, a psychiatrist. It could, you know, somebody who we trust to help us kind of identify the hard things in us. And when we do that, once we do that hard work, let me tell you, bro, you're taking off. (laughs) You will take off. Like nothing in the world can stop you at that point. You're just unbreakable. That is definitely the point that I want to be at. (laughs) (laughs) With time, it will come. It will. I'm proud of you, man. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for like coming on and talking to me, talk to us. I want to really give you the space to say whatever you want to say in regards to like, what is your social media, your platforms, anything you want to promote about yourself, or even if it's just like a message to the youth, the floor is yours. Um, definitely a message to the youth would be, you know, after listening to this, I hope you guys can take from my experience and whether you may or may not be struggling yourself just know that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel and you know i'm always someone who will listen no matter who you are maybe my email email. (laughs) your email okay sure we can link your email in the description down below. Honestly, yeah, even for like business collaborations or allow other like programs to reach out to you because like they've been really inspired and they want to partner with you, I will. Of course I will. Yeah. I'm not that huge of a social media person. Yeah. That's probably like giving my like I it's more of like a joke to me to be honest. But yeah, like definitely if there's you know any possible anybody that might want to work with me you know will be in the description below and that is that will always be the best way to reach me because i seem to check my email about a hundred times a day you know i'm usually on my phone too so there will be fast responses i will i will be there (laughs) (laughs) honestly like i'm going to stay in contact with you as well for sure without question Thank you listeners for joining in and tuning into this podcast. If you made it to the end, we appreciate you. We appreciate your vibes. We appreciate your dedication. <laughs>